Welcome to the Financial Success Show. We are live here from Blackthorn in Brampton, Ontario, every single Thursday at 3 p.m. on Facebook and our Blackthorn Group Facebook page. Thanks again for joining us. As always, I'm your host, Jeff Eady. Joining me is my right-hand man, my sidekick, my man-at-arms, Captain Kirk Forsyth. Captain Kirk, how's it going? It's going great, Jeff. Fantastic. Good day. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Today we have a very special guest, somebody I'm very privileged to have in-house with us. Um, I mean, what can I say about this guy? Uh, first and foremost, he is the only man to have written in the Empowering Women to Succeed, number one international best-selling author, uh, DECA Youth Championship Award judge, uh, heck of a nice guy, the CEO of Blackthorn Group, and my good friend, Mr. Craig Dunkley. Craig, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Jeff. Good to be here. <laughs> yeah. Always a pleasure to have you, He Craig. also drives Always a pretty a cool car, just ah. saying. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk, you are the consummate car guy. I love I it. am. Gotta I be. love his car. Gotta be. <laughs> so, Craig, it's, it's great to have you back on the Thank show. You. As always, it's uh, nice to pick the, the brain of a man like you. Uh, you do challenge me in ways I've never been challenged. I and, <laughs> You succeed, sir. You succeed. <laughs> but uh, also, you know, uh, for the viewers out there, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? What drives you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What drives me to get out of bed in the morning? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Uh, my alarm clock. Uh, yeah. No, I actually don't use an alarm clock, Jeff. I haven't used an alarm clock in many years. I, I wake like... up bright and early, and the sun comes up, and I'm up. So, I get those 5 o'clock emails. I, <laughs> um, I, I'm just very passionate about what I do. I, I've always loved numbers. I've always loved digging into numbers and making them work, and love sharing it with people and just helping people get out from their struggles and get them to somewhere where they, were, where they didn't think they'd be. Awesome. It just drives me. I love it. Awesome. Um, what uh, what kind of got you into what you do nowadays? And, and for those who don't know, I mean, Craig is a, a professional real estate investor. Uh, he also owns... I don't know, a thousand companies? <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> a few. We're at 999, right? <laughs> yeah. Working on his total world domination. <laughs> uh, what, uh, what got you into to working for yourself and business? Uh, I'd have to say probably it was my dissatisfaction with the corporate world. Uh, I was working with an organization that wasn't succeeding and was looking at challenging times. And I recognized that they weren't looking out for my best interest, probably. Who do you have to look out for? You have to look out for yourself. <laughs> yep. So I decided that um, back in 2001, 2002, that it was time for me to go out on my own and look after myself and take care of me, take care of my family, and not expect the company to look after me. As it turned out, that company shut down uh, about 10 years, 12 years later. So oh, it was it probably a good choice. Really? Yeah. Wow. It, took, it took about that long. Yeah, they've been closed for four or five years now. So uh, I feel it was a good choice. Uh, it allowed me to take control of my own life. And it also allowed me to do, like I said, what I'm passionate about, and that's helping people. That's Whereas in that job, I didn't really think I was helping mm -hmm. anybody other than just getting things on the shelf so that they could buy them. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling, the, uh, the, the consumerism that runs rampant these days. Yeah. And as we say that, it is November 1st, and the Christmas shelves are stocked already. I was in Walmart fact, the other yeah. day. They're already up and going. I, uh, yeah. yeah, they are. Already. Yeah. I am so upset that they have Christmas out before Halloween is over. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's just getting stuff in there, and you got the people in there for Halloween, right? Why yep. not buy all the stones exactly. too? 
get your Halloween candy yeah. and your wrapping paper at the same time. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting you talk about helping people. Uh, we just a few minutes ago had a lady come in here that uh, when she came in, she was rather distraught about her situation. She's getting, you know, to a point where she'd like to look at not necessarily retiring, but stepping back a bit from her life. Right. And uh, it reconnected me personally with the purpose of what I do. And, and we all need that from time to time. Uh, we get bogged down in the daily stuff. What yep. do you do specifically for your life to keep you connected to helping people? Um, well, I keep coming in here. <laughs> I get on the show. Um, I, I, I started a program a number of years ago, uh, probably started in 2004, where the clients that I was working with, I met with them every quarter. Uh, I felt it was very important because so many people they do not look at their situation on a regular basis. And I found, found from some personal develop, developing that I was doing for myself is the more often I went back, the more often I got reconnected and it kept me going where I needed to go. So I did the same thing with my clients. And basically we met every quarter, we still do. In the book it's actually the, the title, of, title of the chapter, Around the Kitchen Table. Yep. I would meet them around their kitchen table every three months. And we would talk about money. We would talk about their situation. We would talk about their family. We would talk about their travels. We'd talk about their job. You know, they became friends. Mm -hmm. They became serious friends. But the point of the meeting was to keep them on track and keep them thinking about their money and making sure they were always moving forward. And as I, as I did that and continued to do that, and now we do that through Millionaires Club, I find it has a fantastic impact on people and making them actually make the change. Because most of the time, if you leave people to their vices, they'll fall back into what they're comfortable to doing. Mm -hmm. And then 10 years later, they go, oh, crap, what happened? Right? I didn't get there. Why not? Yeah. Right? So I found in building that around what I did, and it became something that I enjoy. I really enjoy meeting with my clients on a regular basis. They're friends, as I yeah. said, yeah. Right? and having an impact on their life. That's what drives me. You know, that, that's huge to me. I was uh, visiting some of our friends slash clients last night, Kate and Anthony. We love you guys. I know you watch every show, Anthony. <laughs> oh, Kate and Anthony. Uh, <laughs> he does. Uh, I was sitting in their living room last night with their, their beautiful daughters around, and it really, you know, it, it is a, 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 a damn good feeling to be able to help people and, and help them move forward because too many people just don't take action. Yeah. And exactly what you said, they slipped back in, into what they were doing. If you always did what you always done, you always get what you always got. Absolutely. So that's huge to say. And, and you said it the best, have a relationship with your yeah. money. Yeah. Um, that's that's yeah. massive. Yeah, it, it is because far too many people don't. Yeah. Far too many people, they get their statements and they don't even look at them, right? Because they don't understand what they say. Yeah. So let's sit down, let's have a look. You know, it, it, it might be painful sometimes to have a look, but if you don't look, it's far more painful 20 years, 30 years down the road when you don't realize what was supposed to happen didn't happen. Yeah. And it's building friendships, too. I mean, right? I, I used to have a relationship with my money, but it was more like we were divorced. <laughs> we just didn't talk. We didn't see each other. <laughs> Every once in a while, we'd get together, we'd argue, and that was about it. We have one once in a while, too. But, right. Uh, right. <laughs> so it is huge. I mean, having that that time to check in and see where you're doing and have really a, a score marker on how you're doing in life, right? Yeah. I mean, to me, money is like, it's a game. Maybe for Tony Robbins. Yes, yeah, Tony, Tony did put out the book, obviously, yeah. Master yeah. in the Game, and he took a lot of flack over that title, right? Because to most people, money isn't a game, 
Yeah. Right? To most people, money is not a game. It's a very serious matter. And they get to a point where it does become serious. You know, people lose their job or something happens in their life that all of a sudden the money isn't not enough to look after them. It does become very serious. Yeah. But absolutely, in our conversations with clients, with friends, although we don't talk about it as a game, we do try to take the seriousness away to a point where you can get comfortable. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. It is money. It, it, it does work for you if you want it to work for you. But unfortunately, so many people are so focused on working for their money. They're not stepping back and saying, hey, I've done my job. Now it's your job, money, to go do your job and look <laughs> after me and Absolutely. grow. Right. Yeah. And the, there are there are great ways to make money grow a lot quicker than too many people see. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and uh, I was actually a, a part of a leadership call this morning with Michael Burnoff. Excellent. Uh, and Michael had a great example about if you look at your hands as, as this one is the one that, that's working right now, this oh, is yeah, your daily life, you're, you're lost in it every day. Yep. You're making decisions about today. Yep. And this is where you actually want to go. And most people are only making today decisions. They're yep. not even putting 10% towards the where they want to go. Yeah. But even 5 or 10% of today's decisions around your money, around your health, your wealth, all of that, it's going to bring you closer every day. And it was really interesting to think about just 10% of the decisions, yeah. changing them towards the future as opposed to everything being reactionary leading yeah. to today. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we look at uh, Around the Kitchen Table or Millionaire's Club, that's exactly what we're doing, mm -hmm. right? We're taking that one day where we sit down and have the conversation, but we're looking at the last three months, what happened. Yeah. Well, we can very easily see what happened. But then we're also looking at the next three months. What do we think might happen? Well, mm -hmm. we don't really know what will happen. We don't have a, a crystal ball to figure it out. But at least that we're having the conversation into the future, even though it's only three months, those conversations start to extend out to a half a year, to a year, to two years, to five years, right? And it does start people thinking a little bit more than just what's in it for me today. Yeah. And it's always easier to look back at it. Absolutely. See, see, okay, I made a great choice there, a bad choice there, and connect the dots and see, okay, you know what? There is a pattern here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Patterns show up very regularly and very easily when you look at the past. I, yeah, I, 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 2020 hindsight is both a gift and a, and, a, and a curse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you made the right decisions, it's a good thing. Um, well, even the bad decisions, right? You've got to learn from them. You know, you know, yeah. They're not mistakes. They're not and bad I learned decisions. From mine. They're lessons, right? Yeah. And if you don't learn from them, then they're a mistake. Yeah. Yes. I couldn't agree with that more. I, I definitely couldn't. Uh, actually, uh, have you ever read the, uh, the author Dan Millman? No. Um, he wrote a book called um, uh, Way of the Peaceful Warrior. And one of the things that he says in there, uh, actually, that wasn't even the book. It was one of his other books. But he says that um, when you make mistakes, the universe punishes you. Well, it doesn't punish you. There are consequences to your mistakes. Right. And those consequences, if you make the same mistake over and over again, the consequences become more severe. Not to punish you, but to make sure you get the point. Right. And I thought that was one of the most like, oh my goodness, you know what? If yes. you are making the same mistake you were making when you were 20 and you're 50, but it, it's probably a lot more severe. Like you might be living yeah. in your car at this point. <laughs> right, absolutely. <laughs> so, so the lesson gets louder. Yeah. Well, I am 24, so maybe I should start listening to them now. It might be a good idea. <laughs> if you hear it twice, yeah, if I hear it, it the first time, yeah. yeah, all right. Yes. So let's talk about what... Uh, what really drives you? What drives your passion about business? Real estate. Yes. How long have you been investing in real estate? Well, I've been invested in real estate since uh, 1990. In December 1990. A couple of years. A couple of years yeah. 
Yeah, you can work out the numbers if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 1990, um, bought our first house, and we rented out the basement. And a lot of people thought we were a little bit odd when we did that, including our lawyer at the time, challenged me on the fact that I, I had a tenant in my basement. Is that really something I wanted in my early 20s? So we didn't have any children at the time, so we were looking at buying our house. We didn't need the basement, so we bought a house with a rental basement, rented it out. Uh, within a year, two years, we were renting out the upper floor of it, and we moved into a different house. And then we bought two more duplexes. Nice. So within a year, we were already starting, two years by that point, we were already starting to build a real estate portfolio. And we were only a few years into our marriage, a, a few years into home ownership period. And a lot of our friends still looked at us and said, what are you doing? Right? At that point in time, we owned three houses. We'd sold the first one by then. We owned three houses, and we had $550,000 in mortgages. <laughs> now, today, people say, okay, yeah, we are. What's the big deal? But when houses were $170,000 a piece, $550,000 in mortgage debt was, was huge. Right? But I would learned early on from Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that... You know, there's good debt and bad debt. Yeah. And that $550,000 was building something for us. It was bringing income into our life, and even more important, it was bringing appreciation into our life. And I'm not talking appreciating each other. I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm talking about real estate appreciation. I appreciate you, though. Yes, we have to appreciate <laughs> each other, but that's not the topic of today. I we said what I meant. We appreciate you, too, Kurt. <laughs> Absolutely, okay, we appreciate you, know you what? Uh-oh. Uh, did he, did he, he rigged something up again. I did. You get a little cranky when you're hungry, so I have a Snickers, okay? Thank oh, you. There you go. It does yeah. satisfy you. It does. <laughs> See, now you can really appreciate him. He exactly. You Snickers when you were so do you appreciate cow. me now? I yeah, said what I meant. Ah. <laughs> and I meant what I said. <laughs> so, yeah, it brought growth into our life mm -hmm. that many of our, our friends weren't experiencing. Even if they bought their own house, yeah, it was appreciating in value, but it was going to appreciate in value so that they could sell it and buy a bigger one. Sell it and buy a bigger one. We had one of those houses, but we also had these rentals that were doing that as well, so that we could either sell them and buy another one, or use some more of the bank's money, other people's <laughs> money, to refinance them and go buy more. Yeah. And for me, it was a start. Uh, a start, not only just investing in real estate, but really it was business, right? Even though I was in my corporate world at that point in time. <laughs> so let me ask you, I mean, action is a differentiator between a successful person right. and, a, and a not successful person. Right. Um, what prompted you to take the action to do what everybody else wasn't doing? It just made sense. <laughs> it just made sense. And you're stealing my questions again. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm in my early 20s. I'm getting married. I'm going to have children very soon. I didn't know that at the time, but knew the children <laughs> would come eventually. And I was buying something that cost a lot of money. You know, $175,000 was our first house with a mortgage on it. And I was going to have to pay this mortgage. Well, that, you know, that's, that's all well and good. Scary. That's what everybody's doing. But what if I could find somebody else to pay my mortgage, yeah. right? Somebody to move into the basement, a space that I didn't need. You know, I did my due diligence to make sure that they were good people that were moving into the basement. And they were good people. I remember the first couple who moved in, she worked for Molson's. Oh, no well, way. at the time, Molson's put two 12-pack gift certificates in everybody's paycheck. They didn't drink. 
Fortunately, I drank Molson's. <laughs> so I got a gift with a rental check every single every I single bet month. Just, wow, that was so, we didn't so it was a bonus. It's all around. <laughs> but seriously, it, it was about, you know, I had this debt to pay, although it was a debt that was going to grow our life. It was still a monthly cost. And I found somebody else who was willing to pay it. They weren't interfering with my life. So why not? It just made sense. So you said that was 1991? That was 1990 when 90. we bought the house, December 1990, yes. So here's something I, I always love asking when people are talking about 1990. Everybody's whining about interest rates all the time. What was your interest rate on your mortgage Actually, then? it was fairly reasonable uh, because I had seen interest rates through the late 1980s in the 20, 21, 23. Yeah. I saw people losing their houses. Now, I was only a kid at the time, but as you know, as we spoke, my dad kept me into the finances of the family completely. Mm, which is beautiful. Although my parents didn't run into that issue. They had a five-year that skipped over that couple-year period. We did have friends who lost their houses or went through 20, 21% interest rates. Yeah. So I thought my interest rate was actually quite exceptional at the time. We were at 6.9%. That's actually not bad. Even it wasn't too bad. Today, kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That but was... today, 6.9 could hurt people. Oh, yeah. So it could really hurt people when we're sitting right now on the, on the 2.9s and now into the threes again yeah. as things start to move up. I had the opportunity to uh, attend an, an RBC business and economics session not too long ago. Nice. And they were talking about where the interest rates are going, and they, they see it going up a quarter point um, over the next year. It's already gone up uh, two quarters, maybe three quarters now. Yeah, it went up uh, uh, 25, uh, 25% points, last week. Right? Yeah. 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 So, so RBC talked about that and the fact that from where it was, to where it's going to be within the next six months or so will probably be a full 100 basis points. So yeah. to us, that's 1%. And then they see it leveling off. Yeah. You know, the economy has been moving along fairly quickly, and interest rates are designed to slow that down. So although we don't like interest rates going up, they can be a good thing, right? Because they slow things down, and we need things to slow down sometimes. And they're good yeah. on the investor right. side. Everybody loves right making more money. On the investor side, yeah, we can, we can make more money while not gouging. Hopefully we yeah. don't go to the crazy rates, yeah. but if what the RBC economists were saying, you know, we're going to level out very soon, and hopefully we're at a comfortable level for most people. It's not crazy expensive, yeah. but it's not as cheap as it was a couple of years ago. And, and here's the thing. I mean, as long as you're aware that this can and will happen, yeah. I mean, it's it's a matter of time. Yep. There's It's very possible that at some point in the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we could be at 20% interest Absolutely rates again. Absolutely could happen. So you right? have to make sure that you're prepared for those things. Yeah. Yeah, um, and a big, a big thing I see, sorry, Jeff, no, no, around that is, you know, people over leveraging themselves. Yeah. You know, yeah. we spend like crazy right now. The debt ratio is high for many people. Unfortunately, a lot of that debt is consumer debt. Yeah. Could be cars, could be, could be uh, electronics, TVs, what have you. And those debts aren't serving you, right? They might buy you the next best thing, but if they're not earning money for you, those are bad debts. And as rent interest rates do start to go up, that starts to get people in trouble. So right. you just touched on, can you explain the difference between good debt and bad debt? Sure, absolutely. So good debt and bad debt. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's taking another one of my questions. And it's Work harder, Kirk. Work harder. So, <laughs> it's number six, so Bad debt, and, you know, I took this from Robert Kiyosaki, yeah. right? Rich Dad, Poor Dad, an excellent oh. book. As I said, started me off on my 
of my life to business and investing because he does talk about the difference between being an employee and being a business owner yeah. and the difference between a business owner and a sole proprietorship too two very b different things right a yeah. sole proprietorship you're still yeah. just working hour for hour mm -hmm. for the most part but not always anyways uh, the question good debt back Jesus you're talking passionate about something I know <laughs> So bad debt is basically like we talk about, uh, consumer debts, debts on things that we buy that aren't going to work for us or earn money for us, right? And that's where a lot of people spend their money. You know, you buy a car, although it gets you around, it's not bringing money into your life. Now, maybe you've bought it to do Uber or Lyft, and that's a different story. You're creating income into your life because of that debt you've created, right? And that's where you move to good debt. Good debt is when you're actually borrowing money to buy something that is going to make money for you. You know, that could be your stocks, could be your bonds, could be your index funds. It could be buying other companies if they're going to make money for you. For me, the biggest part has been buying into real estate mm -hmm. and seeing that real estate can make money for me. So I have no problem borrowing to purchase real estate because I know that real estate is going to work for me over the short term, but even more so over the long term. Yeah. Recognizing you got to be careful not to over leverage yourself, yeah. right? Because over leverage, when we start to get into these interest rate issues, start to become more costly than you expected. So are you saying that it's okay to take out a loan to reinvest that loan? I'm saying it's, it's okay if it's comfortable for you mm -hmm. as an investor to borrow money to make money. Now, if you're borrowing at 10% mm -hmm. and earning four, it's probably not a good decision. <laughs> no. If you're borrowing at 4% mm -hmm. and you can consistently earn 10, 12, 14 or better, as we see much better in real estate, you can earn those better returns, then why not? Yeah, absolutely. Recognizing that, as Jeff says, you're protecting yourself and you're aware of the possible downturns and you have an exit strategy mm -hmm. as well, yeah. right? If something does go sour on you, how am I going to get through it? And that's one of the reasons I love real estate, because I recognize that although the real estate is bought because it creates some, some monthly cash flow, but it's really bought for the long-term growth. Now, to have long-term growth, what does has to happen to prices? Got to go up. Yeah, they have to keep going it. up. Yeah. But can we be realistic that sometimes real estate prices might drop? Or go on sale. Yeah. Or go on sale. The properties can go on sale. Hoo-hoo, let's buy. Right? You know, it's a buying spree when they go down. It's, it, it's all how you look at it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all how you look at it. And I love listening to Warren Buffett and watching how he buys companies and learning how he buys companies. While everybody is selling and running away, what is Warren doing? He's run buying. Right? And too many people run away when it gets sour. It's the best time to buy in most cases. Just because something cheap doesn't mean it's a good buy. There's got to be an opportunity for it to go back up in value, right? But I look at it, if my real estate goes down in value, if it's up in value and it's, it's worth more somewhere else than having the money in it anymore, well, then it's time to sell, mm -hmm. right? At what point is it worth so much that it's time to sell it and take that money and do something else with it? But if it goes down in value, I still have tenants in there. Mm -hmm. yeah. I still have people mm -hmm. looking after the cost of the property as long as I'm not over leveraged. Mm -hmm. So hang on to it. Yep. Write it out. Make sure that you've set yourself up so if the property values go down, you can write it out and it's not going to be a negative impact on your life. 
Well, I, I make that analogy, uh, and I, I did the other night when you were speaking for our financial success meetup, um, that gambling, uh, sorry, investing is always going to be a gamble. No matter what, you don't have that crystal ball, as you say. Right. But much like a game of blackjack or poker, there are a lot of things you can do to mitigate your risk. There's a lot of math involved, and if you know what to look for, it's a heck of a lot easier to Except invest. when you're playing blackjack yeah. with you. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm a bit Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you do when you play blackjack. I'm never playing I'm with you. I'm that guy. I am that guy. <laughs> it's making sure you know the risks. Yeah. yeah. And once you know the risks, you can mitigate them mm -hmm. and be ready for them and be prepared for them. And if you don't know the risks, if you don't know how to play the game at the highest level, find somebody who does. Yeah. Right? Find somebody who does and connect with them. And either just do it with them or get them to teach you. Yep. Right? Get yeah. them to teach you what they did. Um, John Maxwell says, uh, if you need somebody that you want, uh, that, that you want to be around that can mentor you, uh, yeah. Jim Rohn says take them out to lunch. If that doesn't work, find a way that you can add value to their life. Yeah. You know, yeah. If, even if it's something as simple as, hey, you know what, you're super busy. I can come in once a week and help you uh, with any errands you need to run. They're going to appreciate that and a lot of reciprocity. You're going to end up learning a bit about what they do and, yeah. and get you on your own path. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the first time that I did a speaking event at a trade show. And I was speaking from stage, so the mm -hmm. purpose was to sell my course. And I had two speaking times, one on the Saturday and one on the Sunday. So I'd been trained at how to do this and everything like that. And I went in and I did my first one hour on the Saturday, and I came out with one sale. Well, that's not going to pay Ooh. for my booth this weekend. <laughs> it's not going to pay for my stock. I need to improve. Yeah. So I didn't go back to my booth and talk to my team. I didn't, well, I did to some extent, but I didn't go back to, to the booth and talk to my team. I didn't go talk to people who weren't speaking at that event. My mentor, who taught me how to speak and, and sell from stage, was at that event. I took him and his wife and my staff out to dinner that night. Mm -hmm. And I basically said, this is what happened. This was the result. How do I fix it? Yeah. Right? All I did was take him out for dinner. Very appreciative going out to dinner. It gave me the opportunity to get some information to help me. Because what was he successful at? Selling he was successful stage. at selling from stage. Mm -hmm. Very successful. Don't go ask your aunt, your uncle, your, your parents. If they haven't had success at it, don't go ask them. Because they will give you an answer that might not work. Go to somebody who has had success. The following day, we did 46 sales wow. in one hour. Amazing. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's cool. So you got to make sure you listen, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Right? you got to be prepared that what you did was wrong. Far too many people will get trained on something. They'll learn something, but then say, well, that might not work right for me. So I'm going to tweak it a little bit and make it so it works for me. Most of the time, how's that working for you? You know, some people can do that, right? There's growth. You know, you take what you've learned, you have success at it, and then maybe you tweak it mm -hmm. and grow it and make it even better. Mm -hmm. And if you're tweaking it, making it a little bit better, and something goes backwards, well, then you go back yep. to what does work and then take another shot at it, right? Well, and that's it. You've got to learn the fundamentals before you can put your own style into yeah, it, right? Absolutely. Um, that's, that's one of the things that I, I both love and hate about training people is when you give them specific words and tonality and say, okay, repeat it back, and it comes out something completely different. <laughs> <You're>... <laughs> well, people hear things different, too, yeah, right? We have absolutely. to realize yeah. that there's four different personalities, yep. and then you've got male and female. Yeah. Right. They think and hear very, very different than each other. All of those different types of people. Absolutely. So sometimes it's just realizing that they're not hearing it the same way. They're repeating it how they thought, how they processed it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's uh, that's something that you and I have discussed on many occasions, that it's up to the person communicating it to is. get the message across, it not is. the person listening.
Yeah. When I go back to my corporate world, we had a lot of training on that. Yeah. Right. Learn mm -hmm. how to talk to somebody how they hear. Yeah. Right. They like apple pie and you give them cherry pie. It ain't going to work. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that song, She's My Cherry Pie, just gave it in my head. So where were you on that one, I, Sophie? I, 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 I like rhubarb, actually. If you're, if you're ever wondering, I, I like rhubarb. I make a mean rhubarb pie, awesome. believe it or not. I'm there. <laughs> I did. I'm there. Throw some custard on it, we're good to go. Custard on rhubarb? Absolutely. You just changed my world. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, yeah, you are English, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, custard Thanks, on Mom. everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you talked about things going on sale in the real estate market. That's a perfect segue that I just brought up to talk about Detroit. Absolutely. Uh, Detroit has been a passion project for you for some time. Also, a heck of a moneymaker by, by all standards, I would imagine. Um, yeah, we've, seen how, some, we've seen some appreciation well, there. Okay, <laughs> um, what, uh, what first prompted you to go into Detroit? Uh, I, was, I was at a point where investing in Canadian real estate was not driving cash flow anymore. Prices mm -hmm. were getting so high in Canada, by the time you mortgaged up to what you needed to, to keep your minimum down payment, right? you want to put as little as your own money as you possibly can in, Absolutely. obviously without over-leveraging yourself, right? But interest rates, even though they were, were at where they were, um, you were still having to mortgage far too much. Like a, a, a $1.1 million house in Toronto, you know, you'd be driving maybe three, three and a half thousand rent out of it, but you were carrying an eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollar mortgage, mm -hmm. and that was eating up the cash flow. And as soon as something went negative, well, all of a sudden you were in a negative cash mm -hmm. flow. You had to put a furnace in or a roof or something like that, right? So, or without a tenant. So I started to look at, you know, where are the places where we can actually make a little bit more money on this thing? And the U.S. had gone through their issues. We'd seen the, the bust of real estate in the U.S. We saw the commercial back paper issue that really drove down prices. And unfortunately, people were losing their homes. They were. And it did create an opportunity when the prices got down far enough to go in and buy. Yeah. And we looked at a number of areas. We looked at uh, North Carolina. We looked at Texas. We looked at Vegas. We looked at Florida. Uh, we did buy one house in Cleveland. But we ended up settling on Detroit. Because as I mentioned earlier, I'm a firm believer in what Warren Buffett says, is that you've got to find something, you've got to find value in what you're buying. And by that I understand he means you've got to find it at a cheap price. Mm -hmm. You've got to pay less than what it's actually worth today. Yep. Right? But when you find something cheap, you have to make sure to the greatest ability that you can foresee how and why it's going to go up from there. Yep. For example, our Cleveland house that we paid $19,800 for, fantastic deal. It had a tenant in it, renting out for $650 a month. We had to put $2,200 to repair a little bit of water damage in the basement for the tenant. And boom, it's good to go. But we're five years later, sorry, and it's sorry. still... How, how much was it? $19,800. <laughs> wow, oh. that won't get you a parking spot in Toronto No, nowadays. it won't. It won't. Right? <laughs> $25,000 for the average parking spot in Toronto right now? Probably more now. I was going to say, probably, I was at a... At that was probably 10 years ago. I was at a condo release not too long ago. It was $50,000 just for the parking spot. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. $19,050 and, and will get you a phone call at a payphone <laughs> if you can find one nowadays. That's crazy. Sorry, yeah, I didn't mean so, to cut you off so, on that. So that was 
Cleveland. So wait till you hear about Detroit. <laughs> so that was Cleveland, 19,008 for the first house. And that actually included a $5,000 assignment fee that came from the lawyer that got tacked on top. So the so. house was actually 14,8. But, but you know, it, it, it cash flows, yeah. right? $650 a month rent, you know, expenses of around 300 a month, even um, uh, property tax down a hundred dollars a month like not insane like we have up here where it's four or five six hundred dollars a month so it's cash flow but we're five years later and it's still only worth nineteen thousand eight hundred dollars so we bought something it was cheap it was a good deal it's cash flowing but there was nothing going on in the area that would bring it up yeah. it was just a good deal that fell into my lap and i said yeah sounds good let's do it it's nineteen thousand eight hundred dollars so what's going on in detroit that's bringing detroit up so I'll start with with the fact that in Detroit we 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 were very. It took us a while to buy in there. Our, our first house was twenty seven thousand dollars, required eight thousand six hundred in rehab. That was bow for a fantastic house. Still rents out for eight hundred and fifty dollars a month to a war veteran actually. Mm -hmm. And then our next houses were um, about a hundred thousand dollars for thirty three, <laughs> on average thirty five hundred dollars. Not a hundred thousand each. No, not yeah. 000, all told, yeah. two of them were five hundred dollars. Oh my! That was on the low end. And, you know, we we did exactly what 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 we talked about is we found someone who was successful mm -hmm. in Detroit, and we just partnered up with her and said we want to do what you did, and we want to do it successfully. You've done it successfully, so obviously we can too. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> right, right. That's amazing. So that's what we did. But then what happened in Detroit? Detroit has just been fantastic. We did our research to make sure that we were very comfortable things were going to happen in Detroit. And one of the biggest things that we saw in Detroit that had value to us was the bankruptcy. So most people, when we said we're buying houses in Detroit, they would say, but they're going through bankruptcy protection right now. Why would you buy into something that's going through bankruptcy? Is that not a big red flag? Yeah. Well, seriously. It's Detroit, the motor city. Is the U.S. going to let Detroit go bankrupt? No. <laughs> no, not at all. Right? Michigan put money in. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase put money in. Uh, the federal government put money in. All of them to help Detroit recover from what it was going through. And the recovery was, was phenomenal. They came out of the bankruptcy with their hands no longer tied and financially stuck and could start spending money on infrastructure. You know, start putting police back on the road, start putting uh, fire engines back on the fire, fire people back on the road, started yeah. putting essential services back on. I remember it was just about a year ago, my dad highlighted to me an issue that he had heard about Detroit where Detroit had just made a statement that every single traffic light in Detroit and the outskirts is now operational. <laughs> and if the traffic uh, street light, if the street light goes out, it will be repaired within 24 hours. Uh -huh. Now, to you and me, we would probably say, big deal, it's a street light. As I said, it's pretty standard around here. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's a street light. But when you're dealing with a city that at one point had major crimes, having the street lights on is a big thing. Yeah, right? A big thing, right? Having more police. I remember our property manager, one of her girls, on one of my tours around Detroit talking about how things are really improving. It used to take 20 minutes for a police officer to respond to a call. Wow. It's now down to two. Wow. Right? So those are little things, but they have a big impact. A that's, big impact. That's huge. They had, um, the fire department had a standing burn order for uh, any yep. buildings, any of the, the, the derelict buildings that yep. were on fire. They were told, 
let them burn. Burn them down. Yeah, yeah. it's it's there weren't enough fire uh, firefighters to begin with, but uh, they weren't going to risk the ones they did have in, in fires for derelict buildings. So they just let buildings yeah. burn. You'd never find that in in Toronto or, or any place around there. Yeah. It's it, crazy. it wasn't about saving the building so we can rebuild it because chances are it was an empty building anyways. Yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah. it was going to need to be knocked down. Right. So as long as there's no safety issue, it burning, it's not going to set other properties on fire. Yeah, let it let it burn and, and and level it and then take the pieces away. And you know that's very unfortunate because uh, a lot of Detroit went like that before we were buying or when I went down there initially. I saw fields where there used to be houses, hmm. right? Completely opposite of what we see around here, where we're putting up houses and buildings all the time. There were fields where there used to be houses. Wow. And and I remember um, it was probably about about four months, somewhere around four months after we bought, we had, you know, sometimes you do get a bit of luck as well, mm -hmm. right? Although we saw great things happening in Detroit and we, we saw a lot of value coming back, we saw the election of a new mayor who was uh, Mike Duggan. Mm -hmm. And Mike Duggan, uh, he came from a corporate restructure background and he came in and he was just determined to, to fix this city. Right, to do what he needed to to get the city back on time. And we were seeing phenomenal work from him. He was making investors who had properties fix them. You can't leave this thing empty. You need to fix it and put a tenant in it. If you don't fix it and put a tenant in it, we're going to take it back and we're going to sell it to somebody who will. Yeah. Right? He was yeah. all about what do we need to do to rebuild this thing. He's done a phenomenal job. About uh, a year ago now was uh, his second term election. He was re-voted in at 80% of the vote. Yeah, I was going to say it was a landslide Huge, for him. Yeah. Right, so he, he has the support of the people, right? He's bringing, he's bringing back. And along with that was industry. Uh, downtown. Um, I don't know if many people know that one of the major landlords in downtown Detroit is a gentleman by the name of Dan Gilbert. Now, Dan was already buying up Detroit before we started, and uh, he's a native of Detroit, so he absolutely has a passion for the city, but he's the owner of Quicken Loans. Yep. And he was basically buying downtown office buildings for cents on the dollar with a goal that I'm going to rebuild this downtown. He put, obviously, Quicken Loans yeah. into an office building. <laughs> I remember an article, I think it was back around 2013, that Detroit was filling office square footage quicker than any other city in the wow. United States. That's any insane. other city, just filling it. Put Liberty, Liberty Health in there. Put Blue Cross in there. Many, many others start just bringing in. And now for me, that was a new change in direction for Detroit. For, for myself and for our, our investors and anybody who was investing in Detroit, you now had a city that was very focused on cars, very focused on the car industry. Mm -hmm. and what happens when the car industry goes into a slump? People lose jobs, they get yep. laid off, right? And that's very difficult for a city. But now we had an infrastructure coming into the downtown that was office workers, people in other industries, people in other businesses starting to diversify the industry, the work that was happening in Detroit. And it, it just started to bring people back in. I remember reading an article about a, an, art, an artist couple. Uh, they were both artistic in some way. I don't remember exactly which one they did. But they lived out in L.A. And they had a condo worth $1.2 million. A condo. Yes. That's downtown yeah, Toronto. That's a downtown thousand square Toronto. foot condo. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand square yeah. foot for $1.2 million. They sold their condo and they saw great things happening in Detroit that they bought a mansion 
in Detroit, a 7,000 square foot mansion for $1.2 million wow. in a very nice wow. area of town. There's a few <laughs> nice areas of towns in Detroit, and they bought a 7,000 square foot mansion for what wow. they sold that condo for. That mansion two years earlier was $200,000. Oh, my. <laughs> so you want to talk about the opportunity for appreciation. I remember some of, our, some of our partners said, Craig, let, let's go look at these big houses over <laughs> here. Right? But at the time, we were going in with a few hundred thousand dollars. So if we had bought one of those mansions, yes, it went up to uh, $1.2 million in a few years. That would have tied up all of our money into one rental property yeah. or maybe yeah. two. Yeah. As opposed to, we went in with $100,000 plus the need for a couple more $100,000 to buy 33, right? Uh, average price, $3,500. Um, average rehab cost between $12,000 and $18,000. Now they're worth in the low $45,000 to $85,000 just in the four to five years. So great appreciation. Great and appreciation. I still see lots of room for it to go up. Yeah. You know, those houses were running between $140,000 and $160,000 back before the crash. So what are they going to go up to? I see a perfect storm, right? Yep. All the people moved out. Yep. All the poop people moved out. They knocked down the houses. So the houses are gone. There's not as many houses in Detroit anymore. Now you've got a great guy like Mike Duggan and you've got Dan Gilbert rebuilding things, bringing people back in, right? Those people working in those, those towers downtown now, they need a place to live. Yep. So they want to yeah. move back in. Well, wait a minute. There's not enough houses anymore. Supply and Supply demand. demand. Yep. <laughs> Starts to go up. Yes, they're building, but that takes time. Yep. Right? So I see lots of upside growth still available in, in Detroit. That's huge. And there's a lot of diversification within the, the job market that's going on there, too. It's not. Yeah. I mean, we saw something very similar happen with Hamilton maybe 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Hamilton lost a major part of its steel uh, yep. industry, yep. and the town went through a slump. Now, yep. uh, housing prices in Hamilton have come back up. It never went as bad as Detroit, right. don't get me wrong. Yes. I mean, yep. it, and but Hamilton did, and it's been in front of a lot of jokes, let's face it, but <laughs> <laughs> I love Hamilton. Um, but uh, it becomes a cyclical thing. You can actually yes. start to predict these yes. things. Yes, to um, some extent, yeah. Is there a spot that you think is going to be the next place to oh do that? Oh, goodness, in, in... Jeff, stop. <laughs> that was actually going to be my closing question, too. Um, <laughs> I love oh doing that, him. Like, it's, it's, it's so funny. annoying. <laughs> it, 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 it's, <clears throat> oh, it's funny it you ask. Um, <clears throat> that actually brings me back to Canada. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. where? Yeah. It actually brings me back to Canada. Uh, I have continued to look around the U.S. Uh, actually, Puerto Rico was actually very much Puerto on our radar. On our radar. On our radar. Right. <laughs> <laughs> very much on our radar. Um, because um, Puerto Rico did go, Puerto Rico did go through a very similar issue to Detroit, mm -hmm. and many people, being that they are American citizens, could come over to the mainland, mm -hmm. and they were leaving in droves from Puerto Rico, and we did look in that area, didn't spend enough time on it because we were still focused on Detroit to get going into it. Uh, very fortunate in that situation because, unfortunately, they did have the hurricane that yeah. uh, wiped out a good part of the. Uh, the country, so we, we were lucky in that sense, but again, you've got to protect yourself from that stuff. If you're going to buy in an area where hurricanes come through, as an investor, you want to make sure you have the insurance. Yeah, right? absolutely. Uh, we're looking in Florida. Uh, there's still opportunities in Florida, although we've slowed down on Florida a little bit right now. Uh, we are still watching Florida, but again, 
we went down there. I went down there. I was in, down there in January, beginning of this year. Go figure, right? You're in January in Florida. Nice to be away from Ontario in January. Caught up on your tan. And it was negative one degree in Orlando. Huh? Okay, so you're not catching up on your tan. You're not drinking margaritas. Oh, don't worry. I was out by the pool working on my tan. In a snowsuit. Yeah, really. <laughs> but there were actually fountains freezing. And it's like, what are we doing in Orlando? And Floridians don't handle cold weather oh, no, very no. well. No, no. They were walking around. But no, it, it was zero degrees. And they were walking around in, in heavy coats and sweaters. <laughs> and out in the sun, it still felt warm to me. I was yeah. walking around in a T-shirt because out in the sun, zero degrees <laughs> in Florida is still quite nicer than zero degrees in Ontario. Sorry, Ontario. I love Ontario. I love my country. but um, I just love it more in the summer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or on the ski hills. So, but I, I spent some time through Naples and, um, and Kissimmee and uh, Venice and found some great properties, some great opportunities there. A little bit higher in price, but still opportunity mm -hmm. to grow. There's still growth there and still opportunity to make money. So we are continuing to, to watch that and continue to uh, buy in that area. But when I really look at opportunities right now, especially for Canadians or someone who lives in Ontario, we're looking at Owen Sound. Hmm. Uh, Owen Sound, uh, unfortunately, you go to the downtown, it is very run down. Like many right? small towns Like in many small now. towns. But, yeah. you know, many small towns, if they get on top of it, they can rebuild that. Absolutely. Owen Sound is a gorgeous area, yeah. an absolutely gorgeous area. They're working now on attracting people from Toronto to come up there. And we started looking about a year ago. Um, putting offers onto properties. We're looking at I a number of properties there. right there. Yeah, you actually, I was in Florida. Well, there's actually I a went town, to look while you were in Florida. Yeah, I was in Florida, and you, you, you took on the, the responsibility nice to go look. That day it is absolutely yeah. gorgeous. So we see opportunity there. Yeah. Why do we see opportunity? Because it's run down. Mm -hmm. Well, there's it's a town down. just down the road from there called Salville Beach. Absolutely. And uh, my family grew up cottaging in Salville Beach yeah. back when there was nothing in Salville Beach. The whole downtown was just a mess. And now these huge developers from Toronto have gone up, built these great big mansions, yeah. all these cottages, and they've rebuilt yeah. that whole downtown strip yeah. with all these bars and restaurants. And oh, really? Booming. Oh, yeah. That's funny because I haven't been there in about four years. Oh, but I said it was, now. it was rife oh. for there was there was one great place right on the beach. That, no, if that you was drive down yeah. the beach, it's mm. all these massive five cool. six bedroom cottages there. Yeah, you it's you huge. start to see that happen. Things start to change, yeah. and you start to ch see change. We, you know, when I talk about those mansions in Detroit starting to sell, when you've got those people starting to come into the area, right? There's a reason. There's a yep. reason because there's positivity happening, and it will affect more change. Mm -hmm. Exactly well, what you saw in, in Sabo yeah. Beach. Kind of and the, uh, I believe that Owen Sound is is prime for that as well, and that's why we're buying in Owen Sound. Kind of the uh, the opposite of the canary in the coal mine, huh? Yeah. You start to see the wealthy come back. Look what the wealthy mm -hmm. are doing. They're not yeah. stupid. Yeah. Um, we are just about out of time, oh so we, we, we do have, it happens I know, fast, I know, I'm when sweet. you get in a good conversation, it just goes, I love it, I do love it. Um, I do want to definitely uh, um, bring attention to the fact that we do still have some spots open uh, to, to work with us in Detroit. Yeah. We are closing this off, though, the, the opportunity yes. in Detroit is... Almost yeah. dried up. Yeah, we were at a point, I think it was about a year ago. We, we've still got our portfolio uh, that would love some more partners into. But um, at one point, uh, for a couple of years, we were helping clients actually buy houses. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were just the other night talking with one of the purchases of those from about three years ago, two and a half years ago. He bought one of those houses for $24,000 US. And 
we got to about a year ago where they were going as high as 72,000. Wow. Nice. In just a couple of years, and, and we just said, you know what, that's it's it's gone far enough now that it's not a, it's still an opportunity if you want to go in and yep. do that. But uh, we pulled away from it because they had gone up that mm-hmm. much. Where else can we go get better deals now? Yeah, right. And that's yeah. continuing to to you know rehab our apartment buildings, right? The forty-two unit and the thirty-two yep. unit par- apartment building. That's where our focus in Detroit is right now to get those complete and fully tenanted. As we move away from that, and it's done, still owning it and still operating it, but no longer investing more in it, now moving into the Owen Sound area. That's that's pretty nice. amazing. Yeah. Um, decent returns too. I gotta say, yeah. you're gonna get better uh, better returns on this, and you will in a mutual fund. Uh, <laughs> well, we, we can't guarantee that, Jeff. But uh, no, there are no guarantees. We we we, we have to uh, believe that we we've, we've done the proper research. <laughs> to buy into something that is going to produce nice returns and re- nice returns for the investor, not necessarily yeah. the the bank, the institution that is is uh, owning those mutual funds. <laughs> and, and one of the things I want to say about that, one of the things that drives me nuts about investing, um, not just mutual funds, stock market, all that, is I know you're looking at the time, Kirk. We're getting there. No, because I have a I question have that questions. I want to ask. Don't. I know. I have some questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that... We don't charge fees when, when we invest in real estate in most cases, especially right. here at Blackthorn. Mm-hmm. Whereas, it, and it has always bugged me, when you invest in a stock or when you invest in a mutual fund, you're being charged fees to lend somebody your money. Yeah. That never made sense to me. Hey, Craig, yeah. can I borrow 20 bucks and it'll cost you five? Woohoo, good deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, my, my belief is uh, if I want to make money off of the deal, then I should be one of the investors, yeah. and I should make money just like you make money. Mm-hmm. Right alongside. Right? right alongside. There's no need for me to go charge you for you to make money, because if I do what you're doing, hopefully you're doing what is right, because I've analyzed it and decided that I should do it, and if I'm doing <laughs> it, then I'll make money that well, way. Well, that should give a first-time investor, too, some sense of comfort, knowing that a CEO of a company and a big real estate investor is investing alongside you, that should be, you know, some level of comfort. There. Yeah, I would yeah. hope so. And, and I believe that's really where it all started. Uh, I didn't go looking for people to say, hey, come, come invest mm-hmm. so I can make some money. I went and looked at where do I want to invest. Mm-hmm. I want to invest here. Hey, you guys, would you like to as well? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And aligning yeah. your interests, it's huge to get the same outcome. It's, it's yeah. a beautiful thing. Yeah. Kirk. Go ahead. Thank you. Finally. <laughs> it's going to be a tough one. I know that. No, it's, it's going to be a, a pretty one. easy one because I do see the time here. What's the one piece of advice that you could give to a first-time investor that could calm their nerves? Well, I would say before jumping into something, find somebody who's done it already. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and go either partner with them. Or take them to dinner and, and, and pick their brain, as, as the saying goes. But find somebody who's had success already, right? And then just, you know, shadow them. Shadow them. Watch what they do. Uh, I did that a number of times just by partnering, right? When I talk about my, my speaking world, you know, I would go watch my, my mentor speak many, 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 many times. Just watch and try to learn. And then I would speak at his event, have him oversee me mm-hmm. and give me advice. But really it was just about, you know, connecting myself to him and learning what he did, why he had success at it, how he had a success at it, 
and then just duplicate it. I think Tony Robbins says that, right? Mm -hmm. You know, just go find somebody who just does something successful and then copy what they do. Yeah. Because if yeah. you copy, if they did it, you know, they're not the brightest person in the, in the world probably either, right? If they did it, you could do it, right? Well, Steve and, Jobs always said yeah. that too. He said, good business people borrow, great business people steal. Yeah. 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 It's 100%. I, I couldn't yeah. agree. Craig, I hate to wrap this up. I, I really know. Can do. we have him back next week? Uh, probably not. <laughs> Are you busy the, next week? Craig? I am busy next yeah. week, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, now he's going to go pout, Craig. I Thanks. am. Thanks. <laughs> Um, I do want to say thank you very much for watching us today. A uh, couple of things. First of all, we have a new title screen started last week. I'm sure you saw it. Uh, leave us a comment. Let me know what you think. We want to test that out if it's a little too much. I like the colors. I like Fabian's uh, putting some effort into his job finally. It's about time, Fabian. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Craig. <laughs> You're awesome, Fabian. <laughs> but and being that it's Sophie, Sophie, you're awesome too. So but, you know what, Kirk, though? Um, if you really want it, you know, I'll carve out the time next week. So you let me know. I'm not sure I if you already it. have somebody let's do it. booked. Let's, but, let's do it. No, let's do it. I want him back if, next if week. If you guys it. want it, then. Yeah. All right, so join us next week. week. Join us for Craig. Craig. <laughs> yes. We'll, we'll finish off. We'll finish awesome. what we started we'll here. Yeah, right? and I can't get into these <laughs> questions next <laughs> week. We will, we will let Kirk start. Yes. <laughs> right? How about that? Maybe we'll yes. switch seats for next oh, week. Oh, my goodness. No. <laughs> but uh, as I said, uh, let us know what you think of the new title screen. Uh, give us a like on the page. Give us any comments you have, how we can improve the show, how we can help you and answer more questions that you have and drive the content that you're really looking for from us. And, uh, of course, if you have any questions about investing, about uh, Detroit specifically or the near future in Owen Sound, you can shoot an email off to Captain Kirk, kirk at blackthorn-group.com. Uh, you want to come see us live every Tuesday night here at our office at 2120 North Park Drive in Brampton, Ontario. Sweet nine. Easier thing is Sophie's going to post a link for our financial success evenings. Right, Sophie? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, thanks. More work, Jeff. <laughs> or uh, you can come out and join us on January 19th for our yeah. next Financial Success Summit. Awesome. Always a great oh, day. Always we always have uh, the amazing Mr. Craig Dunkerley talking there about uh, taxes, how to write off almost anything in your life, including your family dog. <laughs> can you help me with my cats? Hey. For sure. <laughs> Jeff, There's actually, a no, you know what, Jeff? I know how to write off those cats. <laughs> You're not nice. welcome in my home, be, Kirk. Be nice. <laughs> and of course, we have uh, the incredible Claudia Harvey joins us for the uh, Financial Success Summit on January 19th. Our mortgage broker, who you saw last week, Jonathan Tilger, will be there, along with a number of other guests. Great services. All of our uh, business partners come out to that. Sophie's going to post a uh, link for that in the uh, comment section below as well. Uh, Craig, any, any final thoughts before we part ways here? No, I just, you know, thank you guys for having me on. I love to be able to share and, you know, let people hear what we're doing and, and maybe to help them out a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate that I'm being invited next week to, uh, to continue too. this, to, Kirk, to, any, to, to finish off what we, what we did not allow Kirk to, exactly. to finish today. Kirk, any thoughts at all? Uh, yeah, I no? didn't get okay, ripped. Hey, uh, you, know, you know what's funny? Because I was just going to say, I didn't get ripped on really. 
this week. I was going to thank you for that, but no, not anymore. Timing is everything. Timing is everything. So uh, once again, thank you for joining us. Our guest, Mr. Craig Dunkerley, CEO of Blackthorn Group, Captain Kirk Forsyth. And as always, I'm Jeff Eady signing off for the Financial Success Show. Thanks for joining us. See you next Thursday at 3 p.m. Hey, thanks for watching the show. I'm Jeff. I'm Kirk. You got that one right. I Good did. You. No, thank you. Click, uh, click the link below. Beside, beside. It's right there. here. Right here. Click this link. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Watch us live on Facebook. And uh, go to paylesstaxbook.com. Uh, subscribe, and we will get you notifications of all of our shows. Oh, yeah. The goal that they may not be. <laughs>